Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Customer order updates got you freaking? How about your customer? Let's check in with them. Where is my order? I expect a response in 20 minutes, or I'll leave a one-star review everywhere, including your mom's house. Yikes. What if customers could find their own orders with Ventoff Order Lookup, the Shopify app that makes order tracking a breeze? With Ventoff Order Lookup, customers quickly and easily search for their own orders in your store with their email address or their order number. No more wasting time and losing your sanity trying to track down orders for customers. Try Ventoff Order Lookup today and get your order tracking under control. Just search Order Lookup in the App Store to start your free trial. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. You know what? My order was at the front door the whole time. Five stars. Hey, have you ever eaten raw cookie dough? I mean... I've eaten raw cookie dough. I remember I visited a friend in high school in Alabama. It's a hot day, like 90 degrees. We walked to the grocery store, buy some snacks, and for whatever reason, he decided the thing to eat, 90 degree heat, was cookie dough. He then ate the cookie dough with a spoon right out of the thing, just raw cookie dough, and then just threw up violently to a point where I remember it 25 years later. This made an impression on me. And yet, to this day, I will still eat raw cookie dough. I love it. Today, we've got a guest who has made a career out of this and certainly has done a better job of it. Based out of Canada, we are joined by Erica Rankin, founder and CEO of Brodo. Brodo, a plant-based, protein-infused, edible cookie dough, right? Avoid some of those problems my friend experienced. Uh, and they have, uh, they've got an e-commerce store on Shopify. Started in 2019, they've been able to grow quite the following. Erica has... And Brodo has uh, 260,000 followers across several platforms. That's quite, quite the social media success and certainly not easy. I want to hear about it. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Check nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. Erica, welcome. Wow, what an intro. Thank you, Kurt. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. Uh, so Brodo, it's cookie dough, but only for bros? I mean, it's for anyone, anyone who doesn't want a tummy ache and wants to have that nostalgic treat, right? We're normally not supposed to eat it, and I can relate to your friend a lot. I have lots of stories like that because I used to eat it all the time. <laughs> what is the issue there? Like how, what has changed between the cookie dough that's okay to bake, but you're not supposed to eat it in large quantity and what you have created? Yeah, so it's really interesting. A lot of people think that you can't eat raw cookie dough because of the eggs. While that is kind of a risk for like salmonella and stuff, um, it's actually the raw flour that can make you like violently ill. It can have E. coli in it um, and raw flour can add bacteria that can just make you sick if you don't bake it. So you have to have a kill step. And that, so that's why when you bake cookies, the heat kills out all that bacteria um, and then your cookies are totally fine to, to eat. And with Broda, we use a special flour that's heat treated. Um, it's plant-based. There's no eggs in there. There's less sugar. There's no preservative. So you don't get that tummy ache and you can feel fuller too when you're eating it because there's actually some protein in there. I had no idea it was the flour. And I do a lot of baking. 
I also was like, well, that's obviously it's the eggs. It's the eggs give you salmonella. Everybody knows that. Even though like I don't know anyone who's gotten salmonella. Like for all I know, salmonella might be a myth, and <laughs> it's not. Um, but the flour, like for sure, I know the FDA says I'm going to eat an acceptable amount of weevils in my flour every year. But there's E. coli in it potentially. Potentially, yeah, it's <laughs> crazy, yeah. Actually, you know, the name Brodo stuck out to me. It was. I like it. It, it. It's got a rhyme to it. It's got a nice sound to it. Is bro a gendered word? This is really, we're going hard. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've to gotta lean into it, you know? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So I used to compete in bodybuilding in 2018, and I was heavily immersed, like, in the fitness industry. And bro is just, like, a term that, you know, it was, like, gender neutral. Everyone would throw it around. Like, you either lift bro or, like, gains bro or, you know? And, um when I made the product initially, like I used to make it for myself when I was competing. That's kind of where the product's inspiration came from. Um, I, you know, like I ate it, my friends ate it. Um, it was for, I guess, bodybuilders and people who worked out because of that added protein. And then that's why I came up with the name Brodo because I basically described what the product was. And as the company evolved um, over the past few years, I found that so many different types of people eat it like moms buy it for their kids you know like there's elementary school kids and um high school kids that go grab it on their lunch break who you know maybe don't exercise but just like love the brand and love the product and want like a healthier alternative um and i haven't really had that much backlash for the name because i think it's memorable and fun and it describes what it is um but yeah i have had that question asked before the you know and i think like on your site it leads with a photo of, of you right yeah, that's right. And I think that probably makes a difference um, in that. Like, that presentation is so important there. So five years ago, you're a bodybuilder? Yeah, I dabbled. I dabbled. <laughs> and as part of that nutrition requirements, I guess, like, you need a lot of caloric intake, like, some specialized needs here in terms of nutrients. I don't know. I'm not. I'm definitely not a bodybuilder. No one ever looked at me and went, like, that dude's a bodybuilder. Uh, <laughs> and so what was that process there that you're like, you know what? I'm going to make my own non What happens if you bake your cookie dough? Yeah, they they bake. Um they are crunchier. There's no egg or binding agent, so they're not like chewy cookies, but I tell people to microwave it for like 15 or 20 seconds if they oh. want to heat it up cuz it gets like gooey almost if like you pulled regular cookies from the oven too soon. All right, so I totally I derailed myself there. Um, you did. <laughs> I did. I was like, wait a second. What happens if you cook it? Yeah. Um, my previous question. Okay. So five years ago, you're you're dabbling in bodybuilding. How do you end up creating Brodo? So I was dieting for like a year and a half, which is crazy. I think I started in like 2017, um, even maybe 2016, actually. Like I decided to, you know, um, go all in and prep for a show which you know like you have to like I think at one point I was eating like 3,500 calories a day which is a lot of food for you know uh someone who normally doesn't eat that much food um but like I guess on that journey I had to break up with a lot of my favorite sweets like I have the biggest sweet tooth I had to cut out donuts and like regular sugar and you know cookie dough and cake and all the things that I really love to like indulge in every now and again like I couldn't eat so I just you know like put my apron on and went in my kitchen and tried a different bunch of different things and um I started posting on Instagram and sharing my recipes and 
one of the recipes that people seem to love was like these protein cookie dough bites. And I would get messages of people like asking if I would ever sell them. And that like, I guess that was just like in my subconscious for like a while. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And then a year later, I decided to package it and sell it as Rodo. Um, and here we are today. <laughs> it's such a, yeah, we can't, you can't gloss over there. Like, all right, I, I had the idea. I made it. People start reaching out to you. And so like, obviously you're eating it. You know what you like it. It's good. Um, but you know, you, you may not necessarily be the best customer avatar. You, but you have people reaching out, asking for it, requesting it. And by being in, in this fitness community, you did have access to a, a group of people where you were sharing it. Okay, so you're getting that feedback. You're making the stuff in your kitchen. But going to, I should sell this. This should be a business. I should manufacture this. That's a huge leap. Did you have any any background, any experience this? Like, what what was the thing? What was the moment where you're like, I'm doing this? Yeah, do you want do you want the full story? Um, it's a very interesting one. I so I guess long story short, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology. I started working in my field for about a year and was absolutely miserable. I was making less money than my sister was, who worked at a grocery store, and she had prior just dropped out of college. So I looked at that and was, you know, I felt tricked <laughs> by the system. It's, it's demoralizing. Um, yeah. And I was like going in and scanning documents and, you know, photocopying stuff and answering phones. And I'm like, why did I need a piece of paper and four years of experience to do this? I could have done this before, you know? Um, so I started listening to podcasts at my desk. And every day I would just go in, listen to these entrepreneurial podcasts, uh, MFCEO Project by Andy Frisella. And he would just talk about um you know sleeping on a pistine mattress in the back of his supplement store and now he has like a, a billion plus dollar company that has just grown and he has hundreds of employees and i just listened to that and listened to the stories that he told and he had other people come on and share their stories and then i kind of realized oh wait like i don't need a business degree to you know start a business i don't need any of that stuff i don't need to have parents who you know, I don't I need to be brought up in a family of entrepreneurs. If I want something bad enough, I can go out and get it. Right. So I hit a wall. I quit my job. I had two other part time jobs. I booked a one way trip to Southeast Asia, um, <laughs> which was like very impulsive. And yeah, on that you trip, really went all in like what's yeah. that. It, the first part is I you have to ask yourself at some point you have a moment where you go, why not me? And it's mm -hmm. where you realize, like, wait a second, I can just give myself the permission. And it's interesting you said, like, I don't need a, a piece of paper to authorize myself to do this. I don't need a degree. I stupidly went and got a business degree and mm -hmm. then an MBA because I thought that was, like, that was how you got authorized to engage in business. And, of course, after the fact, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> um, I don't regret it, but it also, like, my reasoning did not make sense. <laughs> the and So you so like, man, I heard a podcast. I should sell some dough. And then you went one-way ticket to Southeast Asia. All right, this is intense. Yeah, um, my parents were not super over the moon about that. And I was gone for Christmas too. And then I decided to stay for like over three months. Um, and I went to Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia. Um, and I met entrepreneurs on that trip, which was really cool. And like the one thing that I saw that they all had in common was when they spoke and talked about like what they do for a living, their faces lit up. You could like feel that energy and the way they spoke and carry them, carried themselves. And I thought like, wow, like I was so immersed in this like 
office environment where everyone was so miserable and I was miserable and, you know, I just dreaded going into and then I'm, you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, you see these people that are just, yeah, it's hard and they're building a thing. Right. But um, it was really cool to hear their stories and realize that, okay, like, you know, this guy who dropped out of high school has built this like successful moving company. Um, There was a former lawyer. So he actually studied in Toronto, was practicing law, decided he hated it moved to Thailand and was building these huge properties and selling them. And he had no experience in it, didn't know what he was doing, but got into it and loves it. And that just like opened my eyes to like all the possibilities that are out there. And I got home and was like, okay, cool. What can I do? Like, what can I monetize? What am I passionate about? What do people want? And then everything kind of clicked. And then I Googled business workshop near me, drove 45 minutes, figured out how to write a business plan. And then I guess, yeah, launched it later that year. So how it all started so the manufacturing kind of scares me mass producing food that like i wouldn't even i wouldn't even bother i'd be like look i'd rather go figure out how to manufacture something in china to deal with this it seems it seems difficult it seems high stakes i don't want to poison someone accidentally right that's yeah you're making a thing that they're going to ingest am i wrong to be freaked out by this like now that you know after the fact what goes into it what do you think? It is a little scary. Again, I think like the naiveness is you need to have, you need to be so naive when you get into anything, right? And I had no idea. Um, and I have like a very dangerous product, you know, like it's like edible cookie dough. Um, and um, even when I, I started making it myself in a kitchen and I had to take my food handlers course and like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was throwing random things in a bowl and and there was no specific order. And then I realized, oh, now shelf life is a thing. So I have to get shelf life testing done and I have to like get like the microbiology assessed or analyzed or whatever. And it's just like an endless learning curve. And food is scary, but it's really cool to like see people enjoy something that you created. And I think that like outweighs the fear, you know, that kind of falls like into that. Um and having like a very good partner as a manufacturer is key and kind of makes you feel safe. Is your Shopify store out of gas? Get up and running again with Zipify Pages. Zipify Pages is a one of a kind landing page and sales funnel builder for Shopify merchants. Their impressive library of templates comes from their own $170 million Shopify store. And it has a template for every kind of page you need to build a high converting e-commerce store quickly and for a lot more profit. You can use Zipify pages to improve any page on your store. You can customize product pages, category pages, and even your homepage. So you can make a lot more sales. Plus, all pages are optimized for mobile and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,000 Shopify merchants. Go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to start your 14-day free trial today. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. I love that you brought up the advantage of being naive. I think about that a lot where it's like, if I knew what I knew now, would I do the thing? Would I still be able to do the things that made me successful? Right? Like oftentimes it was just bumbling into it just with 
inexperienced enthusiasm, failing, figuring out what didn't work, and then, ah, okay, now I know what I'm doing, and we figured this out. I don't know that I could repeat my own success. I think I'd get in my own way if I wasn't naive. Um, and it's a lot of work. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, yeah. like grass is always greener, right? People are like, oh, I trade places with you. It's like, well, there's still, you know, still got to do the work. Yeah. I want to ask you a question I posed to my 11-year-old recently. And you were talking about, like, you, having that 9-to-5 job and, like, hating it so much, you went on a three-month trip to a different continent. An unusual thing to do. Did you ever experience the Sunday scaries? For when you still had your nine to five job, did you experience a thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I dreaded it. I, I lived for the weekend. Actually, that's a lie. I, you know, I was working like 60 hours a week sometimes because I was working. It's funnily enough at the bakery that my sister was working at. We worked together at this grocery store and sometimes I would work on weekends there and then I did personal training. So I liked those jobs more than my nine to five. So I did look forward to working those jobs over my nine to five, which is so sad because you know, I, I thought it was my dream job and I felt misled. But Sunday Scaries, absolutely. I, just, I love that phrase, Sunday Scaries, where you're like, if you're experiencing that, that you could, you should try to use that stress okay. as a positive motivator for trying other things that you're naive about just so you can go fail at them. Like, just set that bar low, but try it and see what happens. Because sometimes... Uh, a few years later, you have a quarter million followers and you're selling cookie dough online. You mentioned it's so important to have a good manufacturing partner. How do you find this manufacturer? Oh, gosh. I got like so many no's. <laughs> um, when you're a small business and you're approaching these big manufacturers that produce mass volumes of product, um, you're like, you know, a drop in the bucket and they're investing in you. So I remember going to them. Um, I have hired a company to do like a co-man search and they basically send you a list of contract manufacturers you call all of them and then they all hang up on you or they say no or you know um and funnily enough the one that i found i actually was rocking my brain late at night and was thinking about all the products that i eat and i thought oh this this company makes cookie dough i should reach out to them and see if they could make mine and they can and they do so that was really cool um and it was like selling the dream, you know, like they're investing in you and they want to grow with you. And I think like having a great like every every person that you do business with, like they should be growing with you. They should communicate with you regularly. They should believe in what you're doing. Um, it should be more of a personable relationship than just a transactional one. And that's what I really love about the people that I work with is that they're very personable and they care. So it really it was through cold calling you just went through endless manufacturers until you're like this is the right one i mean it's like dating basically yeah and it, the funny thing is they're like little hidden gems they don't advertise what they do right so and everyone's very secretive about who their manufacturer is so you can't just like dm someone and be like hey who makes your product you know <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll be like i'm offended like i'm gonna block you you know some people are more receptive and they're willing to share but a lot of people hold their cards very close to their chest, right? So it is tricky. The were there in this initial process of like getting it up to speed, were there other challenges you faced? Maybe it's like financing, branding, regulation. Oh yeah, gosh. I like kept running into walls. I'm still running into walls. I'm, you know, building ladders right now. But um I guess it was just shelf life was an issue and 
uh, you know, like when you're working with protein, it dries out the product and we would do like, we figure out a really great formula. And then, you know, like a month later, it would be like crumbly in the fridge and it not edible at all. And so that was tough. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the funding piece, I had to take out some loans because I bootstrapped the company for so long. Um, and now I have investors like who have actually invested in the company, which is really awesome to help me scale it. But I think I was not prepared with the cost associated with growing a food company. It's a lot. <laughs> the Well, you know, manufacturing in general is expensive. If you had to do it over again and you have an angel investor, you know, I don't know, Jeff Bezos is like, look, I'm just writing checks and he's going to write you a blank check. How much would you ask for to get to where you are? Oh, that's a really, no one's ever asked me that. Um, I would say like, and not like a crazy amount, like maybe 400000 or $500,000. Um, I've taken out quite a bit of loans. I have some investors coming on board. Um, I could have grown the company a lot quicker if I had money from the beginning. But I think I also would have robbed myself of a lot of the the bootstrap experiences that have kind of built the skills that I'll really be able to finally use now that I have some money. Um, and hopefully like, you know, save some money too and not make mistakes because I have those skills, you know? What are, what's the, like the one skill that's top of mind when you say like, I've got those skills, what are those soft skills? I guess just fully knowing all aspects of your company. Cause I was forced to wear all the hats as a solopreneur. Like you have no choice. You have to be the manufacturer. You have to do the marketing. You have to manage operations. You have to do customer service. So um, I have one full-time team member now and I know how long it takes to do things. I know the things that he needs to do. So it's very clear like what the job description is. Whereas if I just hired someone from the beginning, I don't really know what their role is or what they're doing. Right. Like I didn't even really know what I was doing when I first started the business. I just kind of went with it and I'm like, oh crap, like I need to manage inventory and have spreadsheets and understand numbers. And, um, I think it's, yeah, just fully like understanding all aspects and, um, being able to hand that off when you're when you're ready to and understand how to. So for for an item like edible cookie dough, you're not the first and you won't be the last. There are other edible cookie dough options out there. And the advantage to entering a space where there are other players is a that it validates it. You know, like, okay, other people are doing this and appear to be succeeding from the outside looking in. And you also it's not, you're not inventing a new category, so you don't have to explain it to people. Like, there's a big advantage there. Like, if I say bro dough, edible cookie dough, I already, even if I've never seen it or heard of it before, I fundamentally understand what it is. The downside to that is, now I have, I have to differentiate myself. I have, I got people I'm competing against. How do you differentiate, how do you differentiate bro dough from other e-com businesses who may be selling similar things or the same thing? Yeah, I guess it comes down to marketing strategy, right? Um, that's like kind of what I lean into. And instead of building a following, I like to build fans and friends is kind of what I call them. And I think I've been so successful with my marketing um, and not so much with my operations. That's still a work in progress. But like the marketing piece, I've just been very open and honest and communicative with my customers. And I know a lot of brands struggle with this is to have that personable touch. Like I've sent videos to my customers. I've sent voice notes to them. And again, this does take time. 
But I think people underestimate the power of word of mouth. Um, and even with every order that went out, they got a handwritten note with their name and it was very specific to their order and what they purchased. Um, or if they're repeat customers, like I send out Christmas cards to my top customers too. Like this, I think it's just going above and beyond and like the little touches and paying attention to detail. That's what sets you apart from your competitors, whether it be in retail or uh, D2C. So it sounds like you've got a high-touch approach to customer acquisition and retention, at least like through customer experience. You really want to give them this high-touch approach. You mentioned um, you're responding, you're active on social media, responding to people. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, I guess my team member. So he's been really great and we're trying to get more active on Instagram and stuff. And what we started doing, for example, is like we get new followers, we um, engage with their content, comment on one of their photos, you know. Um, I like to get feedback from customers as well. So I send them a video and I'm like, hey, like really appreciate you following along and purchasing. What do you think about us making a change to this product? Like if you have any feedback or anything, like I'd love to hear it. Um, I think it's like making them feel like they're a part of something, right? Rather than them just being a number and them giving you money. And you know, like I hate transactions. They're great. I love like I love it's great having money and customers and you know, um, that's awesome. But like I really want to, you know, like it, it's cheaper to keep a customer than acquire anyone, right? And I think people overlook that and they don't put in the effort to keep their current customers coming back. Um, and that's one thing that I've really put a lot of energy and effort into is just continuing to build out relationships with them. And then, you know, like they post on their social media, like, hey, like the founder messaged me or they, they sent me a handwritten note and then all of their followers see it or they tell their friends. And I think that like goes so, so far. Um, and we kind of forget that, right? You're communicating with customers. Is this, and you said, all right, they're getting handwritten notes from you. And then they share that on social media or like you'll DM them. Is this customer support acquisition retention strategy? Where what channels is this happening on? Oh yeah, so Instagram and TikTok are really big channels for us. Um, and then specifically, like strangely enough, like LinkedIn has been a really great platform too. Like I've noticed that a lot of people come from LinkedIn to my website and purchase from there. So what's the content that's on LinkedIn? Yeah, we, so I think it was like business content, right? Yeah, LinkedIn has been like my main channel, surprisingly. Um, it's what? been really, yeah. <laughs> I love LinkedIn. I post every day. <laughs> what about? Um, so everything. Uh, I guess long story short, in 2020, I didn't know how to grow my business. I hit a wall. I literally, like, I had no friends or family or anyone who could help me or give me guidance. So I went to my pantry. I found all my favorite snacks. I figured out who the founders and CEOs were. I connected with them. I asked them for mentorship. They mentored me and some of them still mentor me to this day, which is really awesome. Um, but in, at the same time, when I went on LinkedIn, a lot of people posted about all the shiny stuff, like the fundraising and hiring team members and growing and millions in revenue. And you know, um, I felt like I was doing everything wrong. So I decided, hey, why don't I post what's actually like being an entrepreneur and how shitty it is, you know? I mean, it's great, but at the same time that you have like a lot of hardships and a lot of people don't talk about them. So I started posting every day about my journey and picking and packing orders in my driver's seat and then in my living room, storing inventory on my balcony, um, doing in-person deliveries every Friday and 
kind of like documented my journey. And then in doing so, I built this following, which was never really my intention. Um, and I've gotten on uh, retailers' radars. Uh, I basically found investors through the platform, um, customers, um, you know, future investors, friends, uh, mentors, uh, even uh, like advisors who are coming on my board now for my company I met through LinkedIn. So it's just added value in so many ways just because I constantly posted on there and shared my journey and it was like compounding interest, right? That's quite incredible. So the traditional advice is work in public or share your journey. And then, you know, the buzzword we hear a lot in the last two years is, is authenticity. Be yeah. authentic. And so you had that reaction too, where you went like, man, I'm looking at everybody else's highlight reel and no one is sharing like the stuff that sucks. No one is yeah. sharing what is difficult or the things that just aren't sexy. Like you know, having a whole bunch of inventory stacked up in your garage kind of thing. And so that's the... You started sharing the reality of it um, and of those early days. It, it, it sounds like people like to follow along and, and empathized with you and you build relationships that are beneficial out of this. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I was doing like, I felt like I was doing everything wrong, you know. Um, I started the company with $10,000 and I would literally go into the kitchen during off-peak hours to save 30%. So I'd go in at like midnight to like 3 or 4 a.m. baking dough and then I'd put it in my Jeep, drive home, put it in my wagon, bring it up to my condo unit and put it in the fridge or store it in my car, which I did for the first three months and I drove around with the heat off. And I like posted about this, right? Um, on social media and people were like, whoa, this is crazy. And then I didn't really feel like it was crazy at the time. But then I, I started seeing a lot of other founders talk about the same things that they were doing, like the crazy founder startup stories that we don't really hear about, right? You just kind of see, again, like the highlight reels. But I want to see like the scrappy stuff and like the adversity and what it took to get there. I like the weird stuff. Show, yeah. Show me something weird. I'm so tired of losing revenue. Are you tired of losing revenue to abandoned carts and lapsed audiences? Ooh. Of course you are. Did you know that anonymous shoppers who visit your store on their phones can't receive abandoned cart emails from Shopify? <gasps> Pop quiz. What do Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, and Blendjet have in common? They all turn to retention.com to maximize their growth and reclaim lost revenue. It's money falling from the sky. With retention.com's reclaim solution, you can leverage industry-leading identity resolution technology to increase your SMS and email flow revenue by up to 10 times. We am um, 10xing our list, okay? Like 10x. Like I'm not even joking. Onboarding is quick and easy and implementation takes just hours, not months. Plus, Retention.com's flexible pricing is based purely on incremental performance, so you only pay for what you get. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to grow your Shopify store and reclaim lost revenue. Visit Retention.com to learn more and schedule your demo today. All right, so you said you, you would work in your kitchen in off-peak hours. So I assume you're referring to your electricity bill. You've, you're using hourly billing. So I actually, and again, you're going to think this is kind of crazy. So I grew up in a very small town about like an hour-ish outside of Toronto. And I wanted a fresh start when I started this business. After going to those business workshops in 2019, I was like, okay, hey, I want to find somewhere new to move. So I packed everything up in my Jeep and drove six hours to a new city where I found a commercial kitchen and the rent was pretty cheap. I found a roommate online and we lived together. And um, 
we got along very well. Um, and I stored a lot of inventory in our living room and she'd always be like, oh, like, when are you going to be moving these boxes out? Or, you know, like she'd be like, this is really weird. <laughs> um, and I, I was working in a commercial kitchen, so I had to get my food handler certification and get insurance and then go into this kitchen and I stored all my ingredients there. I would go and just pay by the hour. And then at night, like when it was dead and no one would go in there and work, they had discounted rates for the kitchen. So that's when I would like go in and like, you know, make a big mask, get flour and sugar everywhere and then clean up and then bring it all back home. The in your Jeep with the heat off. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what happens if like summer hit? So it's very interesting. So I it started to get a little warmer and I was in Ottawa and it gets really cold, like negative. Like I know y'all do Fahrenheit, but like negative. I could 35. do the conversion here. Okay, it was like, it would get so cold with the windshield, it'd be like negative 35 degrees Celsius, right? Like, it would be so cold. Um, so, so I... Oh, well, so that's negative 31 Fahrenheit, so pretty close. Yeah. So it's it also, really yeah, outrageously cold. Dangerously cold. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really cold. Um, but it started to become warmer, and I panicked, and whenever I would go out driving places, I would always try to drive around and find a space in the shade which is so horrible. So I'd be like, I need to like avoid the sun hitting my car. So I would like go in the shade and like park my car in the shade and hide it. And then um, I saved up enough money and I bought a big freezer and then I moved all my stuff into the freezer, which was in my living room. So um, I graduated from that, like when the warmer months came. But before I was like, I don't have anywhere to put this. I'm sharing a fridge with a roommate. Like I can't have all my dough in there. She's going to think like, where's my food going to go? You know, so I kind of made it work for you know the duration and i'm very lucky that i started my business in december so yeah is this a jeep wrangler by chance no it's not no. i'm not that i'm not that cool i have a, a jeep <laughs> cherokee yeah <laughs> you know jeep cherokee super cool as well but in a different way the wrangler was funnier yeah. just like a, the idea of climate control and a wrangler is kind of an afterthought <laughs> look at well all right looking backwards are there any major pivots changes in strategy that you had to go through with Brodo since since you started right now I'm going through a huge pivot um like I pivoted so much lately um so basically the issue that I ran into I built a a business selling d to c right like selling online a perishable product like cookie dough like it's not shelf stable it has to stay cold so that's okay in Canada, like seven out of the 12 months, it's cold, you know, like um, it's fine if it's outside and transit and whatever. But then to scale that into the US, you get places like Texas and California and it's never really cold there, maybe like once or twice a year. So I was racking my brain trying to figure out like how can I launch into the US and just make it easier and more scalable. Um, so we're completely eliminating the cookie dough online and we're not selling it online anymore. Um, come probably like the end of March, early April, and we're going to be launching cookies. So shelf stable cookies, they're going to be very similar to the current product, like similar ingredients, better for you, still bro dough, um, new website, and it's going to be made in the U.S. Um, and available to U.S. customers. And the interesting thing is um, out of 200,000 followers on TikTok, like 57% of them are American and they can't buy the product. So I've had this issue where I'm really good at marketing and I have all the marketing in place, but then the operations just hasn't been able to support it until now um, where we're launching these new products like very soon. So I'm trying to like scramble and get that um, happening as soon as possible. 
And so the current site website is it's brodo.ca.canada. That's right. And so will you set up a, a separate site? Yeah. Like brodo.com so, will be the American version? So it, it won't be brodo.com because we have a cyber squatting situation happening with that. Oh, those people are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Um, <laughs> Ew, David. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, I'm glad it you was, recognized Alexis there. Of course. Yeah. We stand Alexis. Um, yeah. This guy, he he's cyber squatting on it. And I think he tried to sell it to me. And when I went to go look at how much it would cost before when there was a broker selling it, it was like $10,000 or something. So we're going to be using ebrodo.com for now. Um, that'll kind of be the domain that we're going to be using. It's good, though. We have a .com and... .ca will not be a thing anymore. It'll just redirect to the .com. Okay, so we're all new domain, put everything on one website, and then if I'm in the U.S., I can get Brodo cookies. In Canada, can I get, can I still get the original product or is that gone? Yeah, so we're pivoting with that too. So basically, um, retail is a lot different than online. And we found that the price point of the product in the tub, so right now our cookie dough comes in a little tub. There's six servings in there sells for 10 bucks on shelf. And we found that the price point was too high. Um, the packaging was just plastic and it's heavy and expensive and not really scalable. So we're switching to single serve, like almost like kind of bars of cookie dough. Um, that's going to be like cheaper. The packaging is going to be more sustainable, eco-friendly. Um, and people can buy like different flavors and mix and match instead of just buying one big tub of one flavor. And that's going to be available in retail stores exclusively in Canada. And then eventually... Uh, you know, crawl, walk, run. We're going to hop across the border and then launch that into retail stores in the U.S. The You had mentioned, you said, hey, we got 57% of our TikTok followers are in the U.S. and they can't buy the product. I want to hear. And so we're, our business is pivoting around a TikTok audience. Tell me about TikTok as uh, a acquisition channel for this business. TikTok, I got on there in 2021, I believe, because my best friend started posting and her company blew up overnight. And I saw that happening and, you know, swallowed my pride, put my ego, checked my ego at the door and just went on it and started posting. And yeah, I had a few videos go viral. I have like, I think 150 orders within like 48 hours or something, which I thought was Whoa. crazy. And that was only from Canadians, right? Like I couldn't even sell in the US, which is really mind blowing. Um, and uh, from there, I realized, okay, this is a really great scrappy organic channel to grow on. And I don't really need a lot of money invested into it. And I think for the first two years, I spent less than $1,500 on marketing. I was just doing, and that was like through affiliate marketing. I was paying influencers. I did like a little bit of paid ads, not really a whole lot compared to what like traditional, traditionally you spend on paid ads. Um, so I built everything pretty much organically. And most of my traffic came from TikTok. And yeah, that's just been like my main channel. And then in doing so, I realized, okay, I'm really good at TikTok and all of these other brands, like through LinkedIn, I was getting all these messages every day, like, help me, I don't understand TikTok. I wanna get on TikTok, it's a growing platform and our social media team is so new to it. We don't get it, we get Instagram, we don't get TikTok. So because I got all these messages, I launched a course that basically just helps everyone figure out TikTok and you just go in, you log in and then they can you know, go at their own pace and figure out how to use the platform. But it's just like such an underutilized platform for a lot of brands. I think everyone should take advantage of it. What do you think the resistance is to TikTok? Like if I, I'm not on TikTok, maybe I should be, why? 
oh gosh because everyone's on there and it's the only platform that basically like the algorithm can calculate like what you like specifically so if you go on and there's like I don't know, 10 videos, eight of them are dog videos, and you engage with the dog videos and you like them and you comment on them, the algorithm's going to be like, okay, they, you know, they, they really like dog videos, so let's just keep giving them dog videos. And then that's why people get sucked into TikTok for hours because they're in this own little bubble of like the content that they like specifically. Like that's what the algorithm delivers for them. So um, it's very interesting too because my manufacturer, like he's a dad, like he's, older right like he's not like a teenager that's dancing on tiktok he was on there scrolling and one of my product videos came up on his page and he messaged me and was like oh you were on my tiktok and i was like you're on tiktok and i think like that's very interesting because um you know like same with like like the algorithm for like say there's a, a dad who really likes landscaping if you were to like go on his tiktok page it'd probably be like all landscaping videos right like they it delivers what you like so I think everyone should get on there because it's going to reach their audience, whatever content they're putting out. And it's it, it's so automatic. I think there's really like the magic of it. You know, when you think about it, it's like it, it really, it's similarly successful to Reddit in that it's like near infinite interests, hobbies, and represented as niches. And, <laughs> but with, you know, Reddit, I have to curate it myself. With Facebook groups, I have to curate it myself. Same with it, you know, who I follow on Instagram. TikTok changes that. We're like, okay. we're just going to show you what you like. And the magic of that algorithm is, is well, we've seen the success. It's, it's been quite incredible. And so if, all right, if I wanted to get this course, because you, you have been there, you've done it, you have succeeded. I want you to teach me. Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah, so my website's growwitherica.com. That's Erica with a C. And then I have it on there. And then yeah, I also help people leverage LinkedIn if they are curious about that platform. Because I tell everyone, I'm like, get on LinkedIn, post on LinkedIn. It is such a good platform. And so many people just don't take that opportunity. So that's, yeah, what else I do. <laughs> the is the, what, Does that have its own course? Where do <laughs> Yeah. So I actually, I'm kind of like an a la carte. Like if you come to me and you're like, Hey, I really need help with, you know, Instagram or I need help with TikTok or I need help with content creation and I need ideas and strategy or how do I storytell on LinkedIn and create engaging content or how do I set up my profile um, to get like the best engagement or, you know, for optimal views or so I basically can help you figure out all of those things. You just come to me and we work one-on-one -on -one and I craft a strategy for you. Is that a distraction from Brodo? Like, which we got three things going here. We have an info product, we have consult social media consulting one on one, and we have um, this e commerce brand, Brodo. Which is the priority? Brodo is so the TikTok course is just passive income. That just is its own thing on the side. They're all pre recorded videos and there's PowerPoints in there. Um, and I put that together last year, actually. Um, and I've just been promoting that. I don't really do like obviously Brodo is like 90% of my time and the marketing stuff is just like kind of some extra stuff that I do, you know, to help pay the bills because CPG food and beverage is not a very profitable industry to be in in the early days. So, you know, I got to do other things on the side to help, uh, you know, feed me and keep the roof over my head. <laughs> well, I could I could certainly appreciate that bootstrapping and loving passive income. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. The best. <sighs> Erica Rankin. This has been fantastic and inspiring. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Brodo, check out Brodo. Bro, I'll 
uh, brodo.ca, though that's changing. I'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Uh, uh, growwitherica.com. And then it uh, sounds like you're you're very busy on social media. I'll include those links as well. Uh, tap or swipe up on the show art to get to those. Erica, thank you so much. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, and do you want to go out on, well, you want to do an ew? Here we go. Ew. Ew. <laughs> the unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. You want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy, to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.